a lot of the consultants and sort of strategists, they just wanted a designer to come and join their team. They're like, mm. I've sold in this big piece of work. I've got all these kind of teams running. Give me a designer. And I was always like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm always going to put in a right. team of designers and I'm going to sort of really focus on the way in which we work. Hello and welcome to This Is 8CD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a designer, educator and the host of This Is 8CD based in the wonderful city of Dublin, Ireland. Our goal here is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dive forward for organisations to become more human-centred in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. For subscribers on our podcast, on the newsletter in particular, you'll have read that we're getting closer and closer to a massive milestone on the podcast, and that is our millionth download. We're currently in and around 850,000 downloads at the moment. I wanted to give a huge shout out to everyone who has messaged us recently to congratulate us. Thank you so much. One thing you can do is hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening, folks. It will mean that we can stay in touch and you get notified when a new episode drops. Folks, you are in for a real treat here. And in this episode, I caught up with Bronwyn van der Meer, VP of Design at CultureAmp. We speak about design culture and tap into Bronwyn's absolutely incredible background and personal experience that saw Bronwyn spearhead the evolution of Fjord in the APAC regions. Now, what were the key things that Bronwyn did to ensure the scalability of a design culture at Fjord in Australia, and also when it scaled into the Asian regions like Singapore and Japan? How did Bronwyn balance the local culture in each region? and touch on how this was handled as the merger between Fjord and Accenture unfolded that ultimately saw the two cultures merge. Now we speak about Bronwyn's past, tapping into their commerce background and how this ultimately provides them with a brilliant lens to peer through when looking at the commercial impact of design. We chat about the work that they're doing at CultureAmp and the special culture that is unfolding within the business. I say this lightly, but this is a must listen to for anyone in design leadership. If you like what we're doing at This Is Hate CD, please help us out by leaving a review wherever you listen to the podcast. It only takes a couple of minutes. Or you can go one better by going to thisishatecd.com and becoming a patron. You can get an ad-free stream in this podcast for as little as €1.66 per month. You can get a shout out as thanks. There's also other plans there where you can get exclusive items like a really, really beautiful hoodie that's embroidered. It's eco-friendly. Literally all the money goes towards editing and hosting and maintaining our website, which is now a repository for human-centered design goodness with nearly 250 episodes. Let's jump in. Bronwyn, great to have you on the show. Thank you, Jerry. Lovely to be here. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on This Is Aid City. It's been you know, you've been on my, I have a, I have a, I have a Trello board that um, has been going since day one and you've been in the left channel for day one. So um, you were <laughs> at the very start of saying someone, you know, from way back when you were at Fjord um, at that time when we launched this is today. So I'm delighted to finally have you on the show. But for our listeners who maybe aren't aware of um the privilege I have of speaking to you for the next 40 minutes, maybe start off, talk a little bit about yourself and where you're from and what you do. Sure. So I um, am currently the VP of design at CultureAmp, which is an Australian tech scale-up that does HR software. Um, but I've been in design for the last 20 years or so in de uh, various design leadership positions. I um, sort of cut my teeth at the BBC in the UK. I spent 15 years there. Um, yeah. And then um, moved back to Australia and, and was at a company called Massive Interactive for a, a couple of years before going to Fjord and, and um, uh, setting up Fjord in Australia and scaling across Asia. 
um, mm. and yes, yeah, been at Caltrain for about nine months. But yeah, I'm a South African who grew up in Australia, then spent a lot of time in in uh, the, UK. the UK, and now yeah, have just returned back, like in the last sort of ten years or so, back to Sydney. So you're a South African, but you moved to Australia at the age of five, and then you moved to the UK um, in your twenties. What power does that give you as a leader when you've got all these different backgrounds um, kind of bleeding into, you know, who you are? Like, how does that shape you as a leader? Well, if one of the additional things that also happened to me in my, my childhood is I actually moved around a lot within um, within Australia. So I went to seven different schools um, mm-hmm. in both primary and high school. So I think what that that and moving around, you know, multiple sort of cities and countries it's you sort of learn to be very adaptable um, mm. and flexible. Uh, I think you learn to um, how to understand certain sort of contexts and cultures and sort of what you need to do to to sort of fit in. Um, yeah. And and um, you know thinking about school survive. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you definitely uh, yeah, and I think it's also given me a love of variety. Like I do like to. Um, Mm-hmm. to have new situations and new contexts and I need to f- kind of feel as though I'm moving forward or I'm growing or I'm sort of in um, a new situation where there's something sort of unique yeah. uh, to get out of it. So, I, you know, I, I sort of don't like getting stagnant for too long. Absolutely. Would would it be fair to say if we use the word resilience, um, it teaches you a form of resilience um, as, um, but we're both expats, like we were chatting about that beforehand, like, you know, the resilience of being able to up sticks and leave and form your own and forge your own path. There's yeah, something absolutely. That, yeah, there's something really powerful in in the expat um, mindset of being able to move and start a life and rebuild and go again. Yeah, and make connections, yeah. I think, you know, and I think each connection that you have and each, you know, um, new relationship, if they build and build and build and you just get this amazing kind of um, mm. network across many different yeah. sort of cities and locations and then they all disperse and so yeah you sort of end up with this um, amazing set of um, connections from across the world mm. now from our mutual friends um and there's there's too many to mention um one of the things that i heard way back in 2014 in sydney at the time uh it might have even been before you actually joined fjords was uh how you're shaping and how you're going to shape design culture okay and the people that i've uh, who i'm friends with both commented on the fact that there was an excellent design culture and they they kind of pinpoint bronwyn okay the name bronwyn kept on coming up in conversations we're going to talk a little bit more around design culture and forging a design culture what that means so if you imagine way back in 2014 you joined fjord and the executives are, you know, Bronwyn's gone in. Okay. What's your mission at that point? Um, and how do you sell that into the executives about what you're going to try and do and why you're trying to do this? So I was hired into Fjord to set up our Australian business. So I was like uh, mm. employee number one. So they had been acquired by Accenture in 2013. Um, and I was joined, joined in 2014 okay. and it was the first um, new studio outside of the original footprint, which was all based in Europe. So I yeah. was hired to basically establish 
um, a design capability under the brand name Fjord within Australia. And um, yeah. so my my mission was really to um, hire a, a amazing design team and then mm. scale that. And it was very much around um, building a new business and a new revenue stream based on selling strategic design, service design and product design uh, sort of services. Um, my mission, it was one of the things that I did um, and some of the advice that I got very early on, which really helped me was focus. Mm. So um, the someone gave me the analogy of like, it's very easy at a company like uh, like Accenture uh, when you, you come in to build a design capability like Fjord, where there are all of these different clients to be like a teddy bear where um, everybody's pulling on an arm and a leg and a head and, you know, all of a sudden the stuffing comes out. They said, you know, the best yeah. thing to do is really just focus and um, get some runs on the board with one or two clients. And so at that time, um, Telstra was our sort of key client. And yeah. um, I spent a lot of time saying no, actually, to mm. all of these requests that were coming for this very small design capability that I had with the view of letting that design team form, build the relationships, start to Thanks. kind of get some runs on the ground and deliver some really great work. And we were lucky enough to work with Telstra for a couple of years and do multiple projects that created this mm. body of work that was like a set of case studies that really gave us credibility and stories yeah. of impact. Um, and by really sort of protecting the team by by sort of saying no to so much, you know, really allowed them just to um, focus on getting those success stories. So that's... Um, yeah. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, Telstra is uh, one of Australia's major mobile and phone networks. Um, so they're they're probably the biggest one. They are the biggest one. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I wasn't too sure if Vodafone or TPG had amalgamated or any of that kind of stuff. But one of the That's things right. that you said there, focus is a really good um, as a good word that, and I've heard that repeatedly from from design leaders. But in terms of the hiring process, building a world-class team, you can mm. look at the skills, but what are the attributes that you're looking for in terms of a, of a character uh, that you're going to try and hire for? Are you mm. able to look back? I know it's nearly 10 years ago now that it probably is 10 years ago, actually, um, yeah. that you were in that position. So it may not be that fresh of a memory, but if you can remember what you were trying to add to that system. Mm. So I think um, I always look for curiosity. Um, in a designer, especially, uh, you know, the kind of work that we're doing was at that stage was very much focused on service design. Um, yeah. So curiosity, systems thinking, being able to understand, you know, a big complex domain and boil that complexity down to something really simple um, so that you can give that sort of 10,000 foot view of a system to these stakeholders yeah. to help them understand sort of what's working and what's not. Um, emotional intelligence for me is always critical. Like, you know, you just don't want the brilliant jerks. Like you need, you need to hire people who are good at, um, at interpersonal relationships, who can keep their ego in check, you know, who, who come, um, uh, and kind of engage with people in a, in a really positive and, and effective in way. way. Yeah. In a sensitive way. Um, yeah, those are the sort of the, the the key things. And then creativity, you know, I think that was the core mm. differentiation that we were bringing to, yeah. um, you know, what was a management Not. consulting firm, which is very sort of, you know, left brain, very sort of, you know, commercial, very strategic, very individualistic. And we were bringing in a team that was very creative, 
very um, uh, very much about holistic thinking, very customer centered, um, and yeah. using um, you know a completely different approach to get to business outcomes. Approach that yeah. was collaborative, that was you know design thinking, of course, so bottom up as opposed to top down. We were going in and we were saying we're not the experts but we're going to be really curious and we're going to go and do a bunch of research and we're going to unearth all of these insights. We're going to talk to all of the frontline staff. We're going to talk to um, and we're going to involve them and collaborate with them because we think they know what the answers are. They know what the problems are. They know what the answers are. So we're going to you know, work with all of them to unearth both the problems, but also their ideas. And then we're going to synthesize all of that. And then we are going to you know, provide this strategy to go forward, which was complete yeah. opposite of how a lot of consulting works, which is like you're the expert in the room and you bring your frameworks right. and you kind of you come in, you tell them what's, you know, what's wrong. Like we had this completely different approach. And yeah. a lot of my job talking about culture was to try and advocate for that approach and provide this almost like protective membrane over this design team to enable them to do this kind of work and to advocate for this process and to also mm. advocate for the teaming. Because again, the sort of mental model in, in this particular context um, of a consultancy was that a lot of the um, the consultants and, and sort of strategists, they just wanted a designer to come and join their team. They're like, mm. I've sold in this big piece of work. I've got all these kind of uh, teams running. Give me a designer. And I was always like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm, I'm never, I'm always going to put in a right. team of designers. Um, and I'm going to sort of really focus on the way in which we work, but like the, the actual methodology and approach and mm. also the teaming. And so I made actually quite a lot of enemies in, in those first yeah, days and right. developed a reputation for being really sort of potentially a bit difficult or a bit precious. But for mm. me, you know, I knew that to retain these amazing designers that we'd um, hired, we needed to set up the projects correctly. We needed the right teams. We needed the right duration to get to the quality and we needed the right process, which was very different to sort of the yes. standard process. So that was sort of part of my job of building that culture was to provide that protection and the advocacy and the education sort of out into the wider business. Yeah. So a lot of curation is what I'm hearing is was was part of your role, like monitoring it and saying no and yes. looking for those bits of red tape that big brother the big brother in, in, in the eccentric sense mm. um yeah and, a lot of that and stuff choosing who to work with the, the role of the design leader in, in that sense mm. um how did you see it evolve because you, you were at fjord for quite a while and obviously you know your role you before you exited you were general manager of apac um so you were looking after a huge like for anyone who doesn't know a big Australia is like the client list must have been pretty extensive at that stage because you were getting closer to Accenture coming in and you know the brand mm -hmm. where it's currently at at the moment what was your role then as as the years passed by and and the team size grew and you know the the sort of differentiation between that membrane that you were talking about started mm -hmm. to maybe wear away a little bit how was that yeah. handled from yourself because that must have been quite hard if you know I'm looking at the resilience that you you have and you've displayed throughout your career to see that design culture potentially be challenged from from something mm. exterior how was that and how did you manage that so my role changed um to be rather than on the tools being like a service design director I then became sort of the uh, an, a managing director for the actual business and my job then became to scale fjord mm. across the regions and so we scaled across australia and new zealand had about seven or eight studios across australia and new zealand and then 
um, I was asked to set up Fjord in Singapore um, and then take over a t- team in Hong Kong and eventually um, set up a team in Tokyo. So that yeah. was for me an amazing experience as so a cool. leader to to be able to sort of go into these um, Asian cities and understand the market, understand the capability, understand the education yeah. system and, you know, where to find designers, try and find yeah. the right clients to set up a cornerstone sort of for that business uh, work with the sort of stakeholders in those regions and then launch mm. Fjord in each of those regions. So, so that was awesome. an amazing experience. Yeah. Um, but what I did find... Oh, sorry, go on, Brahman. Uh, just to finish off on that, that point about the sort of the culture, what I did find is as we scaled and grew and as we became more integrated into the fabric of Accenture, that membrane, I had to let that go. You know, I had to yeah. actually very consciously train the designers to better collaborate with, to better partner with our, um, you know, consulting colleagues because Mm. more and more the work that we needed to get done and the impact that we want to see actually required us having really multidisciplinary teams and that brought together the technologists, the strategists, the change um, uh, sort of managers and all of those kind of other disciplines and to actually get the impact to change like services, you know, that we were working on. We really needed to partner and collaborate much better. And so over time I had to go on a whole sort of mindset change with the team yeah, so. to encourage to encourage that. So over the time the the projects probably you know grew in size. Um, you mm. know, if you're getting to that level where you're bringing in Accenture, the behemoth, it's it, you're gonna be dealing with a lot more people at that point. So um but one of the questions that I, I wanted to answer, you're the perfect person to actually answer this question. So the design culture within Sydney and Melbourne, okay, like are, are one thing, okay. But when you start moving into other territories, I'm really interested and I'm fascinated. I did my thesis on Japanese design and Tokyo and mm. Sony in particular, okay, the development of the Walkman. I want to understand a little bit more around your role because it would have been at that point that the membrane was starting to kind of shimmer is probably the nice way of saying it. Mm-hmm. And then you were opening up Singapore and Tokyo, okay? How do you revert back into that original kind of embryonic mindset of setting up a design culture in two you know, very diverse um, societal cultures? And how did you manage mm-hmm. that? A lot of research, um, certainly, mm-hmm. and um, sort of trying to immerse myself in, and better understand um, the culture. A lot of talking to people who were... Yeah. Um, from those cultures so you know obviously the fortunate thing is I'm not setting up um, a fjord as a standalone thing in in Tokyo you know there's already a very big Accenture business in fact it's one of the largest Accenture businesses in Tokyo Tokyo. so you're yeah you're already going into a very well-established business with with a big client base so I had leaders there that I could sort of speak to and talk to and collaborate with on doing this but my strategy okay. with both both places was really to focus on finding the right leaders because I knew that I couldn't be there on the ground day to day, you know, helping to orchestrate things. So the best thing that I could do, the most impactful thing I could do was find the right leaders in those locations, hire them, set them up for success, you know, train them, you know, give them sort of, mm. you know, the uh, the download download everything that there was about sort of our culture and our DNA and then the other thing that I did with with Tokyo in particular was to seed that team with three of the Australian Fjordians so three designers okay. including Eduardo Krantz Eduardo. who uh, just recently um you know connected us again um so he 
by by transferring those three um and they weren't all Australian, you know, one was a um a sort Eduardo of Latin American, one was well. Yes, exactly. One was from Australian the UK. <laughs> yeah, and then one is a Malaysian Australian. So very diverse backgrounds yeah. for those three that went over, but they helped to bring the cultural DNA of Fjord and our processes mm. and our methodologies and our language and all of those kind of things. Um, and then we um, we sort of gathered all the designers that were already part of the, um, mm. the the team and we sort of brought them under this one umbrella and then we started a, a massive sort of hiring spree. You know, there must be 100 designers mm. in that team now. Um, and so um, it was very much recognising that what um, what we couldn't just do a copy and paste of what works in Australia. Yeah. So it was around a lot of um, listening and learning, a lot of experimentation, a lot of adjusting styles. You know, design thinking um, is a very collaborative place where, um, you know, if you think about it, in Australia, you know, we'd get all of these different people from across the business, as I said, you know, people from all different levels of an organisation yeah. together in a workshop to kind of do ideation yeah. and things like that. With in Japan, that doesn't work so well because actually, you know, when you get a lot of different people in a room together, the people who are more junior don't necessarily speak up in, in quite the yep. same way. You know, the person who is most senior, um, uh, everyone defers to that person, there's hierarchy and mm. um, there's less confidence, uh, you know, to sort of share ideas in that kind of forum. So, you know, we had to do things like um, seeding ideas for people to react to as opposed to asking for them to um, sort okay. of uh, come up with ideas on the spot. So we had to adjust our processes and our methodologies and our ways of working to take into consideration. We do a lot more socialising of ideas before we get to a sort of stakeholder meeting. So we make sure we've okay. spoke, spoke to everyone individually. And so when we go in there, it's just a sort of a rubber stamping. You're not trying to get everybody on board to make that decision then. You know, so there was quite a lot of things that we learned along the way in terms mm. of different approaches um, for those yeah, different it's... cultures. It, it, it's exactly what I, you know, I was hoping to hear because those nuances are hugely, um, hugely powerful in, in those kind of societies. And I was really keen to hear that perspective. I remember a number of years ago, I spoke to a, a fantastic practitioner called Aubrey Blanche. I don't know if you know Aubrey. Oh, yes, she's at Cultramp. We're no way, really. I was going yes, to Yes, yeah, she's our EDI. She's amazing. Atlassian. So I, I remember yeah. when I was doing work for the RSA in London and I was kind of convener in New South Wales, it was a ridiculous role. But anyway, um, I went in and I, I wanted to ask Aubrey a few questions around scaling the culture in Atlassian. And they had a really interesting perspective about how the locality defines the culture um, within Atlassian. So if you're opening up an office in San Francisco, they look at the the diversity quotas over there, what's representative and making sure that the office kind of mirrors mm. the society that it's in. I was like, wow, that is a really kind of forward thinking way of scaling culture. So your culture is effectively reflective of the society, societies where you're based. Mm. My question to you is, Fjord is, is mainly a Western uh, organization originally, like it came out of you know, Central Europe, if you want, was it originally London and then London? Yep. London, yeah. So a lot of the the behaviors from a cultural perspective are probably quite Western. Um, outside of what you've just outlined before, how have that been adapted into the into the Asian market? Can you remember? 
Well, I mean, one of the things that we decided and was very clear from the Japanese leaders of the business was that we wanted to hire Japanese people and Japanese speakers. So those yeah. three uh, um, designers that we seeded from Australia were the only uh, mm. people who, um, who, who were not, uh, you know, Japanese. And mm. with those three people, it was, you know, we had to make a commitment that they weren't going to just move there for like 12 months. Like they all had to commit that they were in there for the long term. They were going to go and learn Japanese mm. and they were sort of committed to, to that journey. So there was, you know, certainly um, that commitment to hire um, a Japanese uh, team for the Japanese market. Um, and it was, you know, helpful to have some English speaking um, people because there are you know, mm. multinationals that they also work with in, in Japan. Absolutely. But, but yeah, teaming and language was, uh, was really critical. Um, yeah. I want to take I you think... back to a question that I asked earlier on around um, hiring for the character and, and the personality um, and the nuances of what we probably define as, as being awesome designers and i know we, we know many of them like you just mentioned eduardo there and i hold eduardo in the highest regard mm, and especially around emotional myself. intelligence you know emotional mm -hmm. intelligence is one of his things um i know i i myself and eduardo worked together years ago probably just before fjord actually around 2013 2014 around that, those years but um I want to ask you a question around your own background, because I know you studied commerce and you studied science, and we may have mentioned that on the podcast. I'm not sure if that was in the pre-conversation or not, but why is it you think, why is you, um, let me rephrase this question a little bit. So many of the best designers we know aren't design trained. You're one of them. Okay. What benefit do you feel that that gives to designers? Because you know, what's the role of academia then, design academia mm. specifically, if many of the best designers we, we've worked with are non-design trained? Yeah, well, in my particular incident, uh, case, I um, did a, ended up with a degree in, in commerce, not something I was ever particularly interested in. I sort of just ended up doing that. Um, and then I learned on the job how to be a designer in the sort of late 1990s <laughs> in, in London. Um and back then it was at the first wave of digital, um, you know, this whole thing of the internet was just brand new. So there wasn't a lot of kind of formal education around it yeah. anyway. And everyone was sort of making it up on the spot. And I got most of my training at the BBC with this amazing set of, of um, pioneers who, yeah. who sort of both from a technology and a design perspective. Um, but I think what has happened in my career, like particularly at Fjord, my role morphed very quickly from being a designer to actually a business leader. Like I was the GM, I ran the mm. P&L. It was a very large business. I had, you know, 350 designers across the region. You know, it was a, it was a, wow. it was a, it was a business leadership role. And I think my training in um, commerce and, you know, my background in, um, you know, not in the craft, but in business um, has helped enormously. <laughs> yeah. You're connecting so the dots. I, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think, and you know, I think that's sometimes what holds design back from having that seat at the table is that we are very trained in the craft, but sometimes yeah. less trained in commercial realities of business or in operations or in strategy or you know, you know, business strategy, yeah. um, and um, and that can hold us back. So I think that's where, in my case, it's been certainly very helpful. It's funny. I um, I'm going to be releasing a podcast with Ben Reason from one of the founders of, of Live Work. 
And as we were talking, we could see that Ben's journey from mid nineties uh, has eventually evolved and where live work are going now is kind of reflective of where he was for you personally. It almost seems like you discounted the commerce piece a little bit in your earlier career, mm. but yet it's, it's really been probably one of the core skills that helps you be able to flip between the languages. Uh, and I'm doing my pocketbook psychology here as well, but that adaptability that you, you learned as a child seems to have been very powerful mm. uh, for your growth as a design leader. Am mm. I making huge leaps into the unknown here or is that something that you feel you've, you've connected yourself? No, I think it's, um, it is something that I've sort of vaguely connected, but I think, you know, talking mm. to you about it right now, it's sort of, it's, it's definitely um, very clear. I think the other, the other thing that I have, I think, really lent into as an adult which I think has really helped on my design leadership career is actually psychology so I um I sort of started to see a therapist when I was like in my early 30s maybe late 20s in London for various you know uh, personal reasons and that started a journey of sort of self-discovery um through uh through sort of um you know weekly therapy sessions which I've now I've never sort of stopped in some yeah. ways, like I, I really love having somebody to talk to outside of myself and my family and my work situation, who is a professional who's paid to do that yeah. and who understands. And that. that sort of that journey, uh, you know, and I really that's one of my strong sort of philosophies in life is like to, to seek help, to get the help that you need. And don't assume that you've got all the skills and knowledge. And I do the same in parenting or like how to look after my dog or like how to be a great human being and leader at work, you know, I take every yeah. opportunity for coaching and, and for mentoring and all of those kind of things. And I think mm. that has really helped because I think one of the great, the things about being a great design leader is not only being good at the sort of commercial side of things and having a you know, good understanding of the craft, but is also that sort of self-awareness and the ability yeah. to show up, you know, as an authentic, genuine, caring leader who really connects with people and can, um, can understand and, and can be cons- kind of, consistent and yeah. uh, reliable in terms of how I show up you know and of course it's an it's ongoing good. journey and I'm by no way am I there yet but I think it's another you know quite significant I think part of of how yeah. I've ended up where I've ended up understanding the bruises the brain and the behaviors is what I've heard and I am um, love that I, yeah I love that it's um it's a phrase that a lot of design leaders that I've worked with in my career have that ability to self-reflect and really understand their role in how they're actually operating mm-hmm. um so yeah it's really refreshing to hear a design leader just call that out straight away i see a therapist as well a psychologist actually mm-hmm. is, i think there's a little mm-hmm. bit of a difference but pretty much the same function um one of the other pieces brown and my brain has gone dead i wonder if maybe it's because it's nearly nine o'clock for me and i haven't had my dinner um i was going to ask you one other piece and then I was going to let you go. Oh yeah, I know what it was. So you're on a career trajectory at the moment. You're now at Culture Amp. You need to give them a shout out, by the way. You need to talk about the work that you're doing. Yes, I will. About your... <laughs> yes. So, um, tell me what you're doing um, at Culture Amp at the moment and also your own personal growth. What, what does the next yeah. say, five years look like for you? Like you've achieved so much and you're still so young. What is it that you, you're hoping to achieve in the next five years? 
So, yeah, I, I joined Caltrad nine months ago. As I said, I'm the VP of design, so I lead the design capability. CultureAmp uh, do software that um, helps organisations to create a better culture. So engagement, employee development, p- performance management, and many other things around sort of, um, you know, goal setting and one-on-ones. And so it's it's very much the, the reason that I chose to go there was because I believe very passionately about, you know, people and culture. And this is a tool yeah. that helps organisations have great culture. And I'm very passionate about inclusion and diversity and like working with people like Aubrey Blanche that we just spoke about before yeah. um, and creating tools to try and drive equity and equality within, within organisations. Yeah. Um, for me, after working at um, in a you know large um, you know at Fjord and Accenture and very large organisations with big corporates, I really wanted to try working in a tech scale up. I kind of felt that that was a really interesting space, um, not startup. I felt that was probably too small for my sort of skill set, but helping an organisation to scale. Um, and um, in that particular space, uh, it, you know, in people and culture, was sort of felt really wonderful. Um, what I am charged to do at Culture Amp is really to first of all um, get the business across our sort of experience, our vision for the customer experience. So create that vision and get that alignment across the business of, of business of what is our um, sort of user experience and customer experience. Um, it's to create a great yeah. design practice. So hire, you know, we're a high growth um, organization. So a lot of my job for the last, you know, I've doubled the size of the practice in the last sort of six months. So a lot of it has been hiring again and finding wow. a really great team. Um, having the team feel really engaged and feel really, you know, proud of the work that they're doing and having a meaningful, meaningful contribution. Um, and then um, obviously just improving the product experience in terms of retention and, and usage and adoption. Yeah. So for me, it's a really big learning curve to go back into a product company yeah, and to be, amazing. you know, creating software. You know, I've been yeah. in sort of more of a service design um, world, although product design is very much a part of that. And if you ever yeah. hear Andy Palane talking, mm-hmm. he'll bang that drum. Um, but yeah, for me, that's that's the learning curve yeah, is absolutely. to get back into the detail of um, of product design again, um, and also think about how I can bring all of my skills and expertise around sort of more holistic understanding of customer experience into this particular domain. Yeah, absolutely. Like I remember, I was saying to you beforehand, um, I saw Rod present about Culture Amp years ago, maybe about twenty sixteen in CarriageWorks in Sydney, and I was like, that looks like a sensational business to work for really um it comes from a mission like it comes from it wasn't just like another startup that was hoping to get investment it, it it sounded like it was coming from a deep place from the original founder um in terms of managing that culture um and i know you know there's been some movement uh rod isn't there but like in terms of managing that that original culture and that vision does that fall into your lap almost it's it's not like at fjord where you you were able to set a lot of the design culture yourself you almost have to continue and hold the reins now for that does that change anyway your attack on on managing the design culture for culture amp i don't think it has i think um when i started uh nine months ago um one of the things i noticed there's quite a few key kind of pillars of a great design culture that just weren't there um, so okay. being able to sort of go in and work with the existing design leadership and all of the practice to create those yeah. key artifacts around values and purpose and mission, to create the strategy and what are the core initiatives, you know, some of the initiatives are around accessibility, 
customer journey mapping, um, our design system, um, our ways of working with product and engineering. Like some, these are some of the pillars of the strategy and some of the things that we're working on. Um, mm. Doing co-creating that with all of the designers, you know, felt like something that I, was very familiar to me and that we sort of did together. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we're working, we, we use all of our own tools. So engagement surveys and one-on-ones and, you know, performance management. So we use a lot of those tools to, um, to help us to create a great culture, awesome. but picking up an existing team running with it, I, I sort of, I feel as though I'm still bringing the same toolbox and the same kind of, um, uh, instruments. instruments to do it, yeah. um, just with a, a new and amazing and fantastic team that I've, uh, inherited and, you know, since also hired quite a lot of people into absolutely brahman look we'll throw a link to culture amp for anyone internationally who doesn't really or haven't really heard too much about them but they're awesome okay and give them a a big kind of shout out for people to follow them and and check them out on linkedin as well if people want to reach out to you yourself um what's the best way for them to do that how would you prefer to be in contact with with the listeners i think probably the easiest way is through my linkedin profile which is brahman vdm Okay, I'll throw a link to that one in the show notes as well. Brahman, I always end the interviews by thanking the guests for their openness and their honesty, showing some vulnerability, talking about some stories, some some battle stories there, some war stories as well. So thank you so much for being so honest and open as well during the during the conversation. Thanks, Jerry. It's been wonderful to chat to you. There you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you enjoyed it and want to listen to more, why not visit thisishcd.com where you can learn more about what we're up to and also explore our courses whilst you're there. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.